Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast may contain strong language and matter of an aggressively artistic nature. Bringing you insightful interviews from industry insiders across the arts. This is Dark Unicorn in Conversation. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Dark Unicorn in Conversation. My guest today is one of those performers who has just done it all. From his first major role as a 14-year-old in the iconic 1988 BBC adaptation of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, where he played Peter Pevensey, through to originating or being the UK original in some of the great uh, musical theatre roles, such as Jack in Into the Woods, or Ugly in the Styles and Drew hit Honk. He has gone on to act with almost all of our major theatre companies and in many of our most beloved television series and films. He does it all with a great sense of optimism, which he speaks about, and a winning smile at all times. His name is Richard Dempsey, and we started off by talking about whether or not he was the only one in his family with an artistic bent. Richard, long before we met in an achingly trendy casting studio in Fitzrovia, um, I can recall you as a child actor, but did you, did you grow up in a creative household? Not at all, no. I'm from a, a family of a, sort of a sporting family, really. Both my brothers were into football and my, my father was, and I wasn't, so that's how I discovered drama. So there's a, a local theatre where I'm from in Welling Garden City called the Barn Theatre. There's, there's another theatre now that's, uh, I'm not sure where it is, called the Barn Theatre, but the one I went to was, it was an amateur theatre, but it produced really interesting people and some really good actors and writers like Steve Thompson, who wrote um, some of Sherlock and some of Doctor Who and... Um, uh, I mean, a, a, a number of really good actors, but it was it was an amateur theatre that was set up in the 20s, I think. Well, in Garden City used to have a, um, a film studio and uh, it was set up by Flora Robson, um, Dame Flora Robson, way back when. And it's still going strong. But so I used to go there as a kid to use theatre. And then I started to go up to Sylvia Young Theatre School on a Saturday just for some extra classes. And, and I signed with the agency and uh, went for a, an audition for certain C.S. Lewis show story. <laughs> well, I was going to ask by what process you ended up with, because that was, I suppose, was the, I mean, I don't think that wasn't by any means your first role, but it was the first sort of major public. It was, no, it really was my first role, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think I did, I did a commercial first. 
the National Savings Bank, of which I was dubbed by Daniel Evans. No. <laughs> who I was also at drama school with, so that was very strange. Um, and yeah, no, I, I went for about three or four auditions and I was so starstruck by all the kids there because I was at comprehensive school and would go on a Saturday. But if I went for an audition, it was normally with the full time kids and they were all in Les Mis or Oliver or, you know, EastEnders. And I was really starstruck. And we were all, I think it was about 30 of us were marched from Sylvia Young's to um, Elstree uh, for a group audition. And it was like a workshop. And, and uh, yeah, and then we were whittled down and made into various different families. And, and yeah, then I got, I got the role of, of Peter at, I was 14, I think. Gosh. I wish Mother and Nanny could have come with us. I don't think it's fair. They'll be right there, in all the excitement. What's that danger you mean? Don't talk such tosh. We are lucky, Edmund. We are going away deep into the countryside where we'll be safe. Yes, and you know why we'll be safe? Because in the country, nothing ever happens. Yeah. I mean, it was it was mandatory viewing in my household. I have to say, every Sunday night, and and in millions of others. Was there a was there a personal cost to being propelled into something like that at such a formative age, or or did the benefits outweigh anything? Oh, the benefits definitely outweigh it. I mean, to be honest with you, I think I got up lightly because I did go to a comprehensive school. The other three were all from um, slightly more uh, posher backgrounds and they were at private schools. And where I went to school, it's just, I think people didn't even mention it. <laughs> I think once it was on, it was, you know, they were, everyone was a bit too cool to mention it. Uh, and then, uh, then I did another series. We did, we did, we did The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe in 88, I think it was. Mm. So, I, And then the year I would have been doing my GCSEs, I did Prince Caspian. Oh, um, and, and they shot that back to back with The Voice of the Dawn Treader, which I wasn't in because Peter leaves uh, at the end of Prince Caspian. Um, but uh, no, I mean, it, what I would say is that it never quite leaves me. And it's something that I, I love, but it's, it's something that it's always going to be with me, and it, it's it, it's a lovely thing, really lovely thing. And if, if if generally if it's people over the age of maybe thirty five, it's special to them. You know, anyone younger knows the Disney version, <laughs> or there's people that know both and they have they each have a favourite. It depends. Gosh, yes, I suppose it's, it's you don't want to get into you know competition between versions. Well, there's um, a lot there's a lot online. You'll see there's people like you know they everyone's it's like anything, isn't it? They have their you know whatever they saw first and whatever made them connect to it. Um, you went to Guildhall to train, is that right? That is right. Yes, yeah. Um, I've asked a lot of guests this who come on here who are performers, but uh, as time moves on, do you think that sort of conservatoire training still forms the, the best way to prepare yourself for the industry? Depends on the individual. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard things are changing a lot in, in the conservatoires and, and drum schools. Let me put my glasses on now. <laughs> he was so much better. Uh, well, I was performing already, and actually, I was. Um, I'd done my first West End show before I went, so I had a slightly different experience to the, my fellow students because I was actually I worked throughout my whole time at drama school. So my experience was mostly my agent ringing up them, ringing up the tutors, and saying you have to let them do this job, and then the tutors being sort of bullied into it by William Morris agency at the time. And, and 
slightly resenting me for you know putting them in that position and but but personally I had a fantastic time I mean I was very young I was 19 when I started um it was a very very classically based course and and in my opinion certainly talking about my experience it was too classical they, there was too much emphasis on that and nothing else so you know people didn't really have any singing technique although as a conservatoire they're some of the best opera singing teachers in the world they just went on the drama course uh people tv technique wasn't really focused on it was mostly poetry shakespeare Chekhov, movement sort of large movement and that that was the course now it's very different i'm told and i think that is a good thing and also i i believe that students and also it wasn't the, the teaching staff was very undiverse and i think that's being addressed addressed very seriously now as as it should be. But also I think they're listening to the students more now um, about what courses should be. Having said that, I still think, you know, you really learn on the job. Once you, once you get going, that's when you really start learning. Um, you have created some wonderfully iconic roles in UK theatre, um, running the full gamut from being, am I right in saying the original Jack in the UK run of Into the Woods? I was, yes, yeah. And, uh, and ugly in honk. Yes, I was. That, look, that's that's oh. the big number. Oh. Now I've seen you, that's the that was my first night present from Styles and Drew. Oh, so that's, that's the original. Well, we had, we had, when we, we uh, as people who watch our channel may know, we, we spent the early part of lockdown running a, a uh, monologue and musical marathon for, for actors. Indeed, we did have uh, one of the hundred that came through, came through with a rendition of Different. Um, uh, yeah, very sweet boy. Who did, was, they, did they honk when they did it? Uh, they did honk, did they actually yes. Just yeah. <laughs> I always wonder that because, I mean, I, because in the show, obviously, you're, you're playing the character, but I think, how do people do that if they do it for an audition? Do they actually just do nothing? Or do they actually honk? Or do they... <laughs> Be anything. He 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 gave some pretty good some pretty some pretty good honk acting going on. But, <laughs> uh, bless him. He was a final year student at the Royal Welsh and had had a show oh. cancelled. So um, it was nice for him. Great. How do you personally balance the freedom of being? I mean, I suppose there is a certain amount of freedom of being the first person to take on that role, um, uh, whether it be at all or in your your country with the weight of expectation that there might be from fans of the authors. Is it something you can even think about? Might be fans of the authors. I'm saying, they, 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 well, how do you balance the, the freedom of being able to create the role with the expectations that there might be from audiences who are big fans of that particular author? Or... Oh, I see what you mean. Um, well, certainly when I, with, with Into the Woods, I was too young and stupid to think about it. I mean, and... Oh, it, and if anything, actually, I was a fan myself. I was a fan of the Broadway production and been listening to the recording. Suddenly there's a big, tall, terrible giant at the door. A big, tall, terrible lady giant sweeping the floor. <laughs> and she gives you food and she gives you rest. And she draws you close to her giant rest. And you know things now that you never knew. The sky. Um, with with Honk, uh, again, Stars and Drew were emerging at the time. They'd done Just So, which is another one of the shows that I ended up doing later in my career. 
but they'd done it, there'd been a production at the Tricycle, which, and at the Waterman, I think, um, of Just So. And they'd actually, the, the truth is, I, I'm, people often say I, I created the role of Honk, but there had been a previous production at the Waterman where it was originally called The Ugly Duckling or The Aesthetically Challenged Duck. Um, and it was pretty much the same show. So another actor did it for me called Craig Pennell, I think, who's very, very good. But that product, the production that we did became Honk and it went to the National and it won the Olivier Award and beat the Lion King. <laughs> As well it might. Um, <laughs> the, um, you, oh, we've talked about the, you just mentioned the watermill and um, certainly one of the companies that did a lot of work uh, there, uh, which you also worked with, was Propeller. Um, yes. At Hall's all-male Shakespeare troupe. Um, what for you made the dynamic of returning to that very traditional method of casting Shakespeare work? Uh, how was that for you? Well, I mean, firstly, I, I struggled with Shakespeare at drama school and certainly at school. I'd done, I had done a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream at the Royal Shakespeare Company where I played flute, which is a great part, but it's kind of an easy part if you're, you know, you know someone that struggles with Shakespeare. Um, so I was terrified, really. Uh, and I have to say, the old school method of speaking Shakespeare is completely embraced by Ed Hall, and it's what his father sort of um, led at the, the RSC. So um, we had the same academic, oh, I can't remember, Roger Warren, I think maybe his name is, who's an, off, uh, an Oxford academic, an expert in speaking Shakespeare, who's very, very strict about adhering to the iambic. Um, so I, I'd been trained at Guildhall to um, not really think about that and just think about the thought and the breath. But actually I found observing the iambic more useful than anything because it sort of gets you out of your head and it takes all the fear away. You just have to observe the rhythm. And actually Shakespeare does a lot of the work for you. Ed, Ed Hall's got a theory that you can take someone off the street, take the bin man, teach him how to say teach him the, iamb the rules of the iambic and breathing at the end of each line, and he'll be as good a Hamlet as, as anyone. Not everyone would agree with that, but that's, that's certainly Ed's, and I, I agree with him actually, because for me, it's, I find it hugely liberating. And I work with students sometimes, and I, I see it, I, I see it work. Yeah, I mean, certainly it was when I trained, it was Peter Hall's um, technique that was espoused by the chap who taught us. It sort of it was in fashion, then it went out, and then it came back, and you know, it's like well, anything bitter, you know. I'm, I find it, I, I sort of, I do and I don't use it, insofar as occasionally it makes more sense for the audience to make it slightly more conversational, but I find that it's incredibly useful in learning the lines. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. I think once you know it, then you can play with it, you know, but, one, it, but once you have it as a technique, it liberates you, and then, you know, you do what you want with it. And the, um, I mean, it's, it's obviously Propeller has been, um, it lost its funding and, and it's been sort of slightly in the mothballs for a little while, but and whether an all-male Shakespeare company would see the life day again remains to be seen, I suppose, in lots of different ways. But how was that as a work environment? Well, I mean, firstly, uh, exclusively, I can tell you, Propeller is, is coming back. It, it was due to come back. Uh, and it was, it was it was coming back certainly with women as well, but but with people still swapping genders and, and playing around with gender. 
Um, I found it very interesting because I went to a boys' school, um, a Catholic boys' school, when I, when I was growing up. And um, I, in Propeller, I, the best roles I played were, were female roles. And really, it was extremely liberating. And you don't, you don't do it in drag, and you don't, you don't really even feminise. You just play the energy of the, the part. But my two sort of big parts, really, at my time of propeller was Titania in A Midsummer Night's Dream and Hermione in um, Winter's Tale. And they both, from an acting point of view, changed my life. I've never done anything so sort of metaphysical. And the, they, once I'd really got them into my bones, and, and we, you perform with propeller, you go all around the world, you play in all these incredible houses and all these different cultures. Um, it became like a, both those women playing them, it was like a spiritual experience. Mm. It's extraordinary, really extraordinary. And seeing how different, um, you know, cultures react to it. And, 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 and I know there's a big debate and, and rightly so about, you know, the role of an all-male company or just, or just, just, you know, the patriarchy. Um, but the fan base for Propeller is mostly women. <laughs> I mean, it really is. And it's also run by women, the company. <laughs> mm. Yes, I, I, mm. you know, I went to a number of their shows, um, as they used to always tour to Wales when I was teaching there or, or during there. Mm. Um, yeah, very, very female-heavy audience. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. And they, I mean, they, they, they get a little bit like the um, fans of a, a pop group, you know, because Propeller, you know, it's a bit rock and roll sometimes as well. It's, it's you know, a bunch of boys together on, on tour. <laughs> and, and, you know, and the work is quite anar anarchic. You know. yeah. Ed, Ed's, Ed's quite rock and roll. He's, he's a very cool man. <laughs> um, to whom we will come back slightly later. You, you have, throughout your theatre career, have had a pretty good spread between straight plays and musical theatre. Do you permit yourself a preference? I professionally no I, I just like to work and I'm build, and I mean maybe a few years ago I would have said musical theatres because I just love musicals I always if I wasn't a performer I, I would still love musicals um, but the truth is whenever you do a play and you know this is that everything's like the musical anyway I mean every play has got music in it or most of the time they have songs in it it's it's just a show you know, I do think there's there's a bit of snobbery in, in this country. In, in on Broadway, it's not a musical. Everything's a play. You know, you, you just go and see a play. If it happens to be a musical theatre, mm. you know, it, it's still a play. But here, it's like you play. It, it, well, here you have musical theatre actors, you have serious actors, and and it's getting better now. But but it it, it needs to continue to get better because I think there's a there's a bit of snobbery in this country about the mediums. Agreed entirely. Um, of course you also do a, a, a fair amount of, of film and television as well over the course of however many years. Um, took a role in last year's much awarded 1917. Um, obviously a it's lot... It's by Benedict Cumberbatch's helmet. How oh. <laughs> <laughs> many people can say that? Oh Ben. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Move your head. A lot of cogs making up that particular machine, but a, a, a comparatively novel way of making a film. Yeah. 
how was your experience of your bit of that, that from your point? Well, it was extraordinary because, I mean, it, 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 everybody was there. I mean, apart from, you know, the wonderful boy who played the lead, everybody was there just for a day. You know, it was shot over months and months and months. But, you know, everybody there did, you know, a few lines, really, or half a page of, of stuff. Um, it was just fascinating to watch. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm hardly in it. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, one of the Benedict's, you know, you know, sergeants. Or, um, but it was just fascinating to see, see the process. And it was, because it was all done in one shot. I don't know if you've seen it, but the whole thing is, it looks like it's all done in one shot. So you had to rehearse everything like you would a play. And I mean, actually, when you see the film, you don't really see what I do, but we had we have a little moment in it that ended up off camera because it's what it, the whole thing is just one shot. So, um, but we, you would rehearse it, and Sam Mendes just it was brilliant. He came and treated everybody the same. We all had lunch together. There was there was no high hierarchy, and certainly from someone like Benedict Cumberbatch's point of view, I think it probably was challenging because because it was just one shot, you had to do it over and over again. It, the camera, there was never a point where, you know, you'd be doing a scene and, and your bit wasn't on you, you know. So I think that's a lot of, of pressure, especially when, when you're someone of that status just coming in for the day. But I thought he was fantastic in it. I thought everybody was fantastic in it. And I was very, very honored to be part of it. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a very special experience, although, you know, like I say, I'm hardly in it, but it's it's a privilege just to have my name on the credits. And so I've just been in the room, I guess. I mean, and and uh, it's a wonderful um, it's a wonderful lead for George Mackay. Um, oh, that's his name, George. Yes, isn't he fantastic? Wonderful boy. Who, mm. I mean, I hadn't seen him until I saw him in in Pride. The Pride, yeah. He, honestly, he was the most professional guy. He went out of his way to welcome everybody. And then, remember, like most people were there. For, for the day, mm. he went to welcome everybody to say goodbye. He'd be chasing people as they were driving off because he hadn't said goodbye to them. Oh, how sweet. He had lunch. He was such a nice guy. It's funny, I didn't know you were going to ask me about this, but we got the, the coolest, coolest presents. Um, we got like this thing. Basically, it's it's like this. Oh, it's like what you would have had in the First World War to keep all your, you know, your pen knife and everything. Yeah. And it's sort of been replicated into have like, Charger, <laughs> USB thing. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. Well, that's, that's Sam, Sam, Sam Mendes for you. You know, he's a very, well, the whole company, Neil Street Productions, who I, I'd worked for doing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory a few years yeah. before. Um, they're very good. And also, you know, they've set up this, this fund, this um, Netflix fund. I know, amazing. They're, they are, they're very, they have a lot of integrity. I'm glad I sat in this position. I don't normally sit in this position. I've got access to everything here. <laughs> the um, yeah, as I was going to say, it wasn't the first time that you'd worked with Sam, was it? I mean, it's it's the um, or did he work with you? Did, you were the original. Were you original cast on Charlie? No, I wasn't. I was the second year. I was I was Mr. Bucket in the second year. Right. Okay. But they they when we went in, they there were a few changes, so he came in and you know, did, did some work with us, and you know, he came back a few times to see it. Yeah, yeah, yes, bless him. Um, it was a, and that was a hell of a show, Charlie. It was, I felt it, 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 um, 
I always felt it sort of deserved a bit more than it got, really. The, uh, um, I would have liked to have seen that go on a little bit longer, but it was, um, I mean, visually, that was a, was a tremendous... It was, I mean, it was in, that set was extraordinary. I mean, that set could only have been in the Theatre Royal Joy Lane. It was so huge. I mean, the, the set almost was the star of the show. I mean, apart from whoever, whichever child was playing Charlie, because all, all the Charlies were ex extraordinary. I loved it. I mean, I really loved it. And I got to play Willy Wonka a few times, which was terrifying and a thrill. I was like the emergency Willy Wonka. You know, if, if there was a nuclear war, they, I got chucked on to do it. But I, you know, it was, it was quite, it was, it was quite an experience. His big number in it actually is, it's a, it must be a hell of a sing. Um, which one? The, the, the must be seen. Yeah. Must be believed to must be seen. Oh yeah, they were done. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and also it's 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 a it's terrifying. That that first entrance was terrifying because you're not on really for most of Act One, and then you've got to come on at Theatre Royal Joy Lane and do this enormous reveal. And it's the first thing you do is a trick because you're dressed as the old man. Yeah. And then suddenly there's this, and then you appear and you're really one quick. You've got to stand up really straight. And the first time I did it, I stood up so straight the hat flew off. <laughs> The whole number like without the hat. <laughs> you have uh, you've dipped toe into quite a number of prominent TV series in one form or another, from the from the Doc Martins to the Downtons, um, and and much else in besides. I've had a number of guests on here who've done similar insofar as they've maybe had a a, a guest role or they've popped up a few times and something like that. I, I'll ask you as I ask them. As a performer, obviously, it is another job. Um, but do you find that there is a bit of something extra, whether it's an additional weight or something to it, given the established success of a series? If you're oh, my goodness. I mean, I was a massive fan of that. Um, Leslie Nichol, who plays Mrs. Padmore, yeah. is yeah. one of my best friends, because she was Mrs. Beaver in The Line of Witch in the Wardrobe. Ah, oh, yes, of course. So, you know, so I was, I was very familiar with Danton, but also um, the episode that I did was directed by Ed Hall. Oh wow! That's how I. That's why I was doing it, you know. Um, but no, I loved it, I, and I'd worked with Joe. Gosh, I can't remember her surname. Joe, who plays the lovely maid in it. Um, oh, Joe. Um, oh, Froggers. Yeah, Froggers. Yeah. I mean, she. I did a series with her called Island at War about ten years previously, and got on really well with her. So I was really pleased that my scene was with her. It was just great. And then it was literally like this, you know, she, she, she'd been doing it for about three or four years anyway, and she'd be chatting like this and then we get action and she'd just do her scene. And of course, you know, mm. everyone else is a bit more, you know, nervous, but it was great. It was a really great experience. And it was another one that, I mean, I was, I was there like a fan. I was just, I loved the show and I was just so pleased to be part of it. Over the course of the last six months, obviously there's been, uh, I was going to say there's been a lot happening, but there's actually not been very much happening at all. Um, certainly not professionally for any of us, but you have been part of some fairly pioneering workshops over that period that have looked at how performers might continue to develop some work for the stage once things reopen. Yeah. Um, has there been a lot to bear in mind when conducting sort of socially distanced rehearsals or has it been quite an easy adaptation? Well, the workshop, I did a workshop uh, for the new... Duran Duran musical um, that's in development um, and I think we were the first one to do a workshop or anything um, um, it was fascinating I and mean, it was very strict because it, it was 
probably about two months ago that we did it. Mm. Um, you had to put your feet in a chemical solution every day when you went in. You had to have your temperature taken every day. Um, we because it, it was a musical in development. We were sitting three meters apart. We didn't stand up and do anything. We just stayed in our individual workstations with an individual microphone. Everyone was given a set of wipes and spray and your own pencil and 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 really they didn't even want you to go out for lunch. Um, it was just the beginning of, of, of that, that heat wave, the last heat wave. Mm. Um, so it was hard not to go out for lunch. <laughs> we probably we did, but everyone was just very careful and they kept face masks on unless they were singing or speaking. Mm. Um, it was, it, it, I'll tell you what was good about it. It, was, it made you, made you realise how, how possible it is and, and that, you know, if, if it has to be like that for a while, you can still, you can still do it. You know, you just have to do it differently. And, and I think everybody felt one so happy to be doing something, and 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 uh, and and two that you know they felt safe. Yes. And I, and also, I mean, I, I was getting messages from the National Theatre and all these people saying how how are they doing it? You know, because nobody had really worked out how it was going to be done. So it sort of became a bit of a model for how to do it. Mm. Um, I mean, good that that's been that sort of thing can can be done and be done safely and, and without sacrificing too much of the actual creativity of it. Yeah, it didn't, nothing was sacrificed at all. I mean, the next stage would be you'd, you'd get, up, get up on his feet and you'd choreograph it a bit, but that has been done since. I mean, there's, there's a few, there's a few things. Going. I was offered a show at the Garden Theatre. There's, there's a new theatre in Vauxhall called the Garden Theatre. Oh, yes, yes, I have. done. And at the time, I was a bit—I was just wasn't quite ready. I couldn't see how you would do it and how it would be safe. Um, but I gather it was—it worked really well, and, and everyone did feel safe, and the show went down really well. And they're doing Pippin now, that, the same theatre. Yes, I saw that being advertised. Mm. Um, what's what's keeping you going, especially at the moment? Well, what keeps you going generally? I'm, I'm generally quite optimistic. Um, I, uh, I've been doing it a while now. I've been doing it over 30 years. So you, you, know, you see the good times and the bum times and you live for the good times, I guess. And, and what keeps me going, if I'm honest with you, at a time like this is, is community and family and friends. And I think that is definitely one of the things that has come out of the importance of, of, of things like community, family and, and friends. Of this period is that I mean I really think that's more important than anything um, but also how important what we do is you know it's it's you know you, people really miss it they really miss that live experience um, and and you know we know that TV drama and Netflix and all, all the wonderful things that are on have, have also kept people going so you know yes I think people forget that when they think about you know it's um we put out a statement there last week after andrew lloyd Webber had given his evidence to the, to the culture select committee and had said what he had to say and we put out a statement basically associating ourselves with it as a company and saying that you know how the government had failed to realize the importance of what what we do not as yeah. not only artistically but economically and how it feeds into a lot of other sectors as well we had one person who commented on it online saying entertainment needs to take a back seat at the moment 
Um, is it, is it, so entertainment should be taking a back seat at the moment. We shouldn't be looking for anything. And um, I, I, I did sort of say, well, respectfully, it's as much an industry and an employer and a source of livelihood as anything else. But I didn't really have to say too much because everybody else waited in after me. Yeah. Saying, oh, have you? I take it you haven't turned your television on. <laughs> what have you been doing for the last six months? Have you read a book? Did you, yeah. did you watch a movie? Did, did you listen to Radio to... 4? <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you still want to achieve? I, I had this weird, that's a really interesting question because I, I, when I was about 13, I had very specific things that I wanted to achieve and I had this very weird experience of, of achieving my goals in the when I, by the age I was about 21. I mean, like, you know, wanted to do a West End show, wanted to do a TV series, wanted to be in a film. Um, and so my goal after that was to sustain it. And, you know, and that's been a challenge, you know, that this business is, you know, it's, it's not work all the time. You know, you have to keep, keep working at it. So goal is just to keep going, working, to keep doing interesting work. Certainly the work's got more interesting as I've got older. Definitely. I mean, I feel the best work I've done has been in the last 10 years. Um, but I'm sure everybody would say that, you know. But just to keep going and, and uh, to, you know, get, keep getting better. I believe in beginner's mentality. That's, that's one of the big things I've learned. And, and, and to keep that, keep learning. Yeah. Um, though, I mean, it must also be said that, I mean, while the opportunities are there to have changed as, you've, as time has passed, you you are also probably regarded as having something of a picture in the attic. I mean, <laughs> no, no excuse for how youthful. This you is think. particularly good light today. You know? <laughs> it doesn't have when you put your glasses on it. It makes the bags bigger. <laughs> um, we, we do a section uh, in each episode uh, where we, we um, it's more sort of to memorialise one of the casualties of 2020 uh, in sort of, uh, inside the actor's studio, James Lipton. Who died earlier in the year, and he used to finish every. I loved. Wasn't he great? He was wonderful. We loved him. I think you should take up his mantle. Maybe this is this. You know, Maybe this is what I should be doing. Yeah, you'd be very good at it. I can go prematurely maroon. But you've got your own hair and your own colour. <laughs> Maybe, maybe in forty years. Maybe, perhaps we shall see. Um, the uh, oh yes, actually, because he was about ninety on me. He had twenty-five years. Around oh, about the same age. Um, he finished each interview with the same 10 questions before opening to the floor. And yeah. um, uh, so I am stealing those 10 questions, as he did in his time. Oh, yeah. um, so um, what's your favourite word? Family. And what's your least favourite word? No. <laughs> Um, a question, and this is how he asked it, so I'll ask you and answer it in whatever way you like. What turns you on? Um, Humour. And off? Oh, gosh. Anger. Hmm. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, laughter. And what sound or noise do you hate? I, 
the South Circular outside my house, like noisy traffic, pollution. <laughs> what is cars? Your... The noise of cars. What is your favourite swear word? Oh fuck! Well, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um. I always, I mean, if I hadn't been an actor, I would have gone into production. And uh, I, I, I loved, I did my work experience on Blue Peter when I was oh, wow. 14. I had this incredible experience just being an ASM. And they used to, they used to invite me back when I was, you know, on my school holidays to go and, you know, make the, you know, here's one I made earlier model, or, you know, and so it was, it was so I, I, I still, would would like to sort of you know be part of that world maybe you know one day what profession would you absolutely never want to do uh politician <laughs> whatever your beliefs in life may have been if when your time comes you open your eyes the far side and discover that heaven does exist what would you like to hear said to you on arrival <laughs> is that one of the questions? One of his questions. That's a good one. Um, gin and tonic. <laughs> Fantastic. We've had a, a couple of questions have come into us. Um, uh, Mary from Doncaster asks, "Do you have a favourite theatre or theatre company in which to work?" Uh, well, I mean, it's lovely working for the Royal Shakespeare Company. It's, um, favorite theatre, any of those gorgeous Matcham theatres. I, I think, I mean, Jury Lane is very, very special. Um, the Phoenix Theatre has got a special place in my heart uh, because that's where it is into the woods. But do you know what any theatre, if I'm honest with you, any theatre of any style, or it's, you know, if you love theatre, you love being in theatres and like working in them. They do all have that magic, don't they, somewhere in them, yeah. Every, every single one of them, yeah. Um, Alan Nisleworth asks, who do you most look up to? Who do I... Sp well, a lot of people, but there's a few strong women in my life, one of which is obviously my mother, um, but... There's uh, I think I see two other over your shoulder there. Well, that is that's the next one. Do you recognise her? Is that Annie? <laughs> that's Annie. Yeah, Anne Reed is, is a uh, I look up to. She's she's like my second mother. And Leslie, uh, Mrs. Yeah. Patmore, Leslie Nichol. Um, they're like the the, the the three strong women that you know I look up to. The Final question we've been sent in is from Nazreen in, in Wandsworth. He says, is there a role that you've already played that you would want to revisit to do something different? Yes, definitely. Um, well, there's a few, actually. But one I would love to do again is uh, Victor Victoria. Um, I did it at Southern Playhouse with Anna Francolini about six years ago. And we had a great time. We just loved each other. We loved doing it, it was, it was just a really great show. And it, I think I might have been a bit young to do it at the time. And I think it, it's a show, it, I think both of us could do it 10 years later or even 20 years later. 
certainly Julie Andrews did it on, when they did it on Broadway, when Julie Andrews did it later in her life, when she lost her voice, sadly, um, I think she was probably in her 50s. Yeah, because she was pushing oh, pushing 60 when she lost her voice. So she oh, there you go. She would have been, yes, yeah. Yeah, she's, well, she's 85 now. Gosh. Wow. Um, Richard Dempsey, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> thank you for taking the time. It's a pleasure, Paddy. Nice to see you again. You've been listening to Dark Unicorn in Conversation with Richard Dempsey. The show was written, presented and edited by Paddy Cooper. Theme music by Curtis Batson. Special thanks to the estate of James Lipton, the BBC, Stephen Sondheim, George Stiles, Anthony Drew, Dan Jackson, Laura Mellish and the Royal National Theatre. The show was executive produced on behalf of Dark Unicorn Productions Limited by Eleanor Sturt. COVID-19 presents one of the greatest threats to theatre in living memory. The performing arts need you now more than ever. Please, consider supporting our work by becoming a patron, with packages starting at just £50 per year to be a rainbow unicorn. Just visit darkunicorn.org. Science helps us solve problems, but creativity helps us cope with them. Please don't let the performing arts be another casualty of the pandemic. Thank you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.